All right, guys, you're about to listen to an episode with Tony Kanicki. Now, he's been in coffee for so many years that it was hard for us to nail down a specific subject. So we kind of went with the history. Um, for those just backing into this who don't know anything about him, he's been a roaster and he was one of the original coffee bloggers. Uh, he took a lot of opportunities to be at every single coffee event possible. Um, every competition, whether he was supporting a, comp a competitor or just being there to learn and support. And he also took a lot of time out of his life to stop at all the shops. I remember when we first opened Verve, he would stop in and take pictures of our drinks. And there's a number of famous baristas out there that were basically made famous because Tony got them out into the internet. We had a hard time nailing down a specific subject, and it's likely that we'll have Tony on to speak specifics. But in between now and then, get ready for a fun one. A big piece of foam. It's a beautiful day. Got nothing to say. My dog, Toner. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. This is Chris Baca and Jared Truby. Jared is currently squeezing a lime onto his taco. Is that Pastor? It's a high-end Pastor, Chris. High-end Pastor. We just finished day one of the Cat and Cloud pop-up at Companion Bake Shop in Santa Cruz, California on Mission Street, where we're doing every Monday, because the bake shop's closed, Aaron, Stacy, and the wonderful staff here has let us do a takeover. We're serving our espresso, we're serving our coffee, they're making us some pastry, and it's generally going awesome. Crushed it day one, thanks to everybody who came out. If you didn't come out and you're in the area and you want to come see us, we're going to be here every Monday from 7 to 1.30 p.m., it is 2341 Mission Street, Companion Bake Shop. Check out the game. And one of our guests at the pop-up was someone who we've been meaning to have on a podcast for a long time. We are sitting here with Tonks from Local Coffee. Hi. What's up, Tony? Uh, I'm driving from the Bay Area down to uh, Los Angeles, and I thought I would stop in and get a coffee, and then now all this. Freaking this thing with the microphones and it's kind of awkward. It's a little awkward. I gotta say, I'm 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 a little bit nervous and uh, and I'm 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 feeling the awkwardness. I think um, you're gonna do great. You've done way weirder things than this. I have. I, I I just think this changes the nature of our relationship. I think it does. I think it's we're leveling up right here. Because I'm usually I, I talk a lot of smack with you guys and now I gotta like <laughs> I know I gotta be really careful here. One of these days when we're like. 50 plus and we're just going to come out with the the shit talking version of the cat and cloud podcast <laughs> a little behind the scenes stuff right. like we call it the women tell all on the bachelor <laughs> <laughs> that bachelor what season are we on i have no idea no idea he's lying i watched the bachelor at jared's house i love jojo <laughs> jojo he's so he's so hot he's so hot yeah, no, I think you're going to be great. <laughs> Tony's sitting, what do they call it? Crisscross applesauce? Yeah. Uh, oh, uh, yeah. So Perched yeah. on a chair. I'm just, I'm, I'm imagining you guys are going to edit the shit out of this. Cause, Whatever uh, you want. If you want to, we can. If not. I'm just saying it's going to be long. Nobody wants, nobody, people don't want long podcasts. They want you. It depends. So I think it uh, depends on your level of busyness and how much you drive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For me, if I'm driving a lot, like give me an hour and a half podcast. But yeah. on the day-to-day, -day, maybe something smaller. Half yeah, half hour 40. So, I mean, dang, dude. I've known you for a long, long, long time. 
And now it's time. And now to it's make time. You so I don't remember the first time I met you, but I think I knew of you before I met you when you were roasting coffee at Victrola. That's right. And you and Kyle Glanville were working together. Yep. In the OG days. Yes. And then really got to know you more when you moved to Los Angeles from Seattle. So give everyone who maybe doesn't know you just like a, a snippet of your background. You've done a whole lot of stuff in the coffee industry. Where did it get started? Where, where did your journey begin? Uh, it was an accident, which is something I think a lot of us say about our coffee career. Um, at least at the time that, that a lot of us got started, like coffee was definitely not a thing that you thought you could make a career in. If I had had the impression that there were career possibilities inside of the coffee industry, I would have looked for something else. <laughs> um, I, uh, you know, I'd lived in New York for 10 years uh, and ended up in Seattle for various reasons, most of which were romantic, I think. Um, and uh, I'd, I'd done the corporate rat race thing in New York and was just kind of done with having a real job. and coffee working in a coffee shop seemed like kind of a very low stress cool thing that you could do to avoid being an adult and, and being in seattle doing that is like the ultimate romance <laughs> it is in seattle at least you know i think it's i think it's gotten better but at the time especially coming from new york i felt like this is a pretty unfriendly town my first winter there was not cool uh you know 9 11 had just happened and so just felt this kind of alienation from like here are all these kind of soft people that don't make eye contact that are kind of unfriendly and it's a little too white and I, j I just I didn't I didn't vibe with the Seattle vibe at all it just seemed like uh, a, a lot of drama without a lot of energy and um, so yeah. much Kurt Cobain in it <laughs> yeah it was you know, energy, I, I don't know there was there's some like collective trauma there that people were working out that I, I didn't really understand but um, and so then like uh, you know the the first time I worked in a, in a coffee shop uh, there it started to change like there's just that that thing where people recognize you you're at the grocery store and somebody nods their head and you actually start to get eye contact because even even if people don't know your name you're a known quantity you're not just some you know potential like knife wielding maniac you're like a potential knife wielding yeah. maniac who works at that cool coffee shop isn't that a trip that, it is. That actually happened to me here in Santa Cruz. I was I never got like the bad vibes when I went surfing because they all knew me from the coffee shop. And so it's like I was new, but they didn't give me anything. They were cool with it. It is exactly the right amount of celebrity to open the kind of doors that you actually want open. Yeah. Um, like like you don't have to wait in line at, at a bar or club or like you always get a good seat at a restaurant. It's like just that that little bit of nod from other people in the service industry alone is like that's that's worth it yeah i feel that um so so yeah so god this could be a long story let it ride oh just okay just dive right in so you were there you did some coffee where'd you do coffee uh you know i can't even remember the name of the first place i worked which is which is really terrifying it was very short-lived and kind of experimental um but uh they they sent me to uh a famed uh old school italian uh uh, Seattle Coffee Institution, 
for my 30 minutes of coffee training, which involved pulling one shot of espresso that the guy told me was perfect. And like, you're great. You're a natural. And, and that was it. I was ready to, I was <laughs> ready it? to go work at a, at a bakery and make, make their coffee. Did um, that shot taste like fresh ground coffee smells? <laughs> it, it did not. Sadly, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure that that coffee was fresh enough in the first place to really, uh, uh, give us that. But so, so that was definitely not the start of any love affair with with coffee and um but i uh you know i i i i was uh becoming a, a bit coffee obsessive before then and um and so i uh you know i realized i i needed a job um and victrola on 15th street uh, I had a friend that lived right around the corner from there, and he was like, you should go. You should put in your resume. And I'm like, I don't know that place. It's, like, kind of too cool. I don't feel like I can, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a scene. I don't want to, like, go in there. But I, I put together this five-page resume where I interviewed myself about how completely unqualified I was for five pages. A, a job. <laughs> and Yeah, it was it was a lengthy interview. Um, I wanted to make sure they it's the thoroughly knew. the biggest coffee resume ever. <laughs> how, how I did not belong Uh in any sort of uh, service industry environment. And um, and so I, I went in and I handed the resume to, to Jen, one of the owners, and um, uh, and I think I had an instant crush on her, so I was completely shy and ridiculous. And um, and then they called me in for an interview the next morning. They, they told me they weren't hiring, but they called me in and, um, and gave me a job. And, uh, and I fell down the uh, barista rabbit hole very fast. We were uh, Espresso Vivace's biggest account at the time, and so I kind of embraced the David Schomer Espresso Vivace philosophy of understanding coffee and being a barista. Dude, that's amazing. Did you use the uh, DRM grinders? Did you have those? <laughs> we had a pile of DRM grinders. Oh, yes. man. So I just, I, I, I was hanging out with Andrew Barnett this morning at Linea, and he busted out oh, his he's old got DRM. One. He's yeah. got one that still works. So for everybody that doesn't know, that DRM was like the king of grinders back in the day, and it's got a combination burset. So it's got a, a conical burset that feeds a flat burset. Right. Yep. That's and how it has, it's has a little worm drive. It's got the worm drive for the adjustments. adjustment. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I've only used one a couple times. I the first time I used one was Steve Ford had one that he when he was working with Andrew Barnett <laughs> at Echo, uh-huh. and he had one at the Petaluma thing, and I was all, dude, is that a DRM? <laughs> He's all, yeah. I'm like, that's so sick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they catch fire, they melt, they're like. Their duty cycle is about seven shots before you have to make another grind adjustment. That's but true power. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah there's got to be a Hemi in that, right? Yeah, do, do you guys actually talk about this kind of... Oh, we go all over the place. Coffee nerd stuff yeah, on here? Just a little bit. We mix it right in with real life. You said you've got thousands of people that listen to this <laughs> it's podcast. True. It's true. There are thousands of people listening to a bunch it's, of it's coffee dorks right? talk about... Thing. Mixed burr grinders. Well, the, I mean, that's well. I think that's fantastic because there's a lot of different people, but they're all into coffee, and there is a whole sea of people that I don't even know if they know that a like a combination burr set grinder even exists. Yeah. So if I was new in the coffee industry, and you know, all I'd seen was like, uh, you know, a K30 or a Peak and a Rober, I'd be like, whoa, what? That's a thing? Like, how did that even happen? Oh man, it was the Stone Age. Dude, it was deep. <laughs> So you roasted coffee there for a number of years, well, yes. Well, so I, I did the barista thing, oh, yeah, and then barista. you know they they bought a roaster, and uh, and you know I knew nothing about roasting. They asked if I would 
commit to being a roaster for a year, and it was a big pay cut from being a barista because I would no longer get tips. Oh yeah, that's a classic. Um, so I, I made eleven grand my first year uh, as the roaster for Victrola. Um, Just enough to pay for food. It, you know, it it didn't really pay for anything. It was less money than I made. I think you know, bagging groceries in high school. But uh, I've never loved a job more than that. Um, and I started a coffee blog yep. uh, around that time. I think this is probably, I don't know, 2002, three somewhere is in there. Is that when and Tonks came along? It, yeah, that's, you know, uh, that was tonks.org and yep. its original incarnation. Feel free to look at that on the Internet Archive if, if you want to see me debase myself. When was um, the last time that was updated? Is it still happening? No, man, it, it turned into it turned into something else. <laughs> it evolved. Turned into Flickr and then other stuff. Well, Flickr? Yeah, yeah, I was a Flickr early adopter and yeah, I, I was doing, you know, I was I was a coffee social media pioneer. You um, were. That's how actually I knew who you were before I met you. And and I say that sort of dismissively, but in reality it was I mean, that's kind of why I accidentally have a career in coffee is that we we didn't really realize, you know, I was operating a Victrola blog and my personal blog, and um, and it was just kind of fun. I knew that I had a big audience, and I knew that I had a big non-coffee audience, um, and it it felt interesting for me to kind of bridge that, yeah, you know, coffee nerd thing of what I was discovering with, you know, what what if this is interesting to an audience that doesn't right. understand coffee or what's going on in coffee? You and, and Ian Sane, dude. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and. You know, and to kind of see that there were people, you know, who maybe weren't necessarily interested in all of the, like, specific coffee nerd stuff, but were kind of interested in what was going on mm -hmm. in coffee and this nascent movement in coffee was, was cool and um, and gratifying. And I needed something gratifying because, you know, it's, coffee doesn't pay the bills right. uh, very well. So It was um, like another creative outlet as well. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, I rested at Victrola for a number of years, um, and that was, you know, another, another accident. I didn't really know what I was saying yes to or what I was getting into. There were, there were no books. There were no, there was the online coffee community was very nascent at that point. It was, you know, a handful of the usual suspects on Coffee Geek, um, right. forums and, um, some other stuff that came after that. And what was, uh, was it about that time or later that you were... You were quoted along with some other folks in that book. Was it the Devil's Cup or the Oh God in a Cup? God in a Cup. Yeah, yeah. that was that was some years later. That was, that was like later. the 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 first LA year. Okay, okay. Um, so we jumped ahead. Yeah, yeah. Jump. <laughs> go for it. <laughs> I, I have a question about the first LA year. Uh huh. Well, you were you were roasting at Victrola. Yep. Were you there before Kyle, or was Kyle I, there? I already? was. I was there a few months before Kyle, um, and then when he showed up, I think he was nineteen at the time. Like kid fresh off the boat from Carmel he was you know theater geek dude and um and I mean Kyle uh I love him like a brother um and but he's he's still in some ways the same kid that I knew then um <laughs> and and so we you know we we argued a lot and got along really well and yeah. we were both like really serious about espresso in a way that um I think was probably irritating to some of our coworkers, <laughs> um, and been there, <laughs> and and yeah, and that kind of you know metastasized into once I uh, went from being a barista to being a roaster, I felt like Kyle was kind of my hands behind the bar. So yeah. um, you know, he was the first person I looked to to kind of bounce stuff off of what was happening with the espresso blend, and 
Whatever SCAA year it was, it was the year oh, before Venice, oh, or not Venice, um, Silver Lake opened. Okay. And you and Kyle, I remember, were kind of walking around the SCAA, and the, the vibe going around was, okay, these guys are, like, pitching themselves <laughs> to people as, like, this tag team dynamic duo. Uh-huh. And then shortly thereafter... This whole Intelli LA thing kind of opened up. How did you sell that to Doug, or what was your Man, angle? I, it I, seemed I, incredible to me because at the time I was just kind of starting. I, you know, oh Doug Zell, CEO slash owner of Intelligentsia Coffee. Yeah, um, well, so so that I think I think we kind of got that by playing hard to get, honestly, because um, that that was the the whole thing was like a whole big shell shock. So uh, there was. There was a bit of a, a bloodletting and exodus at Victrola. Um, the owners at the time, I think, were kind of burned out, as anyone uh, who operates a, a mom-and-pop coffee shop can attest to. It's sort of, you know, people think you're making a killing. You're not. It's hard work. And, and know, right now, just so everybody knows, at, at the time, Victrola was just the one location, right? Yep. Capitol we, Hill. We, we had the lease on the second location, and, and that... I think there was a lot of stress around uh, okay. how long that was taking and, uh, and and just trying to build a sustainable wholesale business in a town where you're really outgunned by people with more resources and more willingness to be cutthroat about. <laughs> right. Um, you're trying to play it cool, steady, and easy. You're like, look, we're the nice guys. Yeah, yeah, ni- nice guys uh, uh, Continually have a little trouble. <laughs> You know, so so really, I, I predict nothing but turmoil for for you and your your venture here, because you guys are you guys are all too nice. You're, I'm, you're gonna I'm suffer excited for about it. Um, I have a demon within. So so you know, Victrola had kind of built up into this uh, into this thing that that had a a reputation and presence that was bigger than its actual. Uh, you know precarious business reality um, reputation you can ride on big old tire <laughs> <laughs> oh man i i didn't realize you guys worked the sponsorships no, right no that was just like a natural fit that's great for you um so so yeah so like we had we had lost uh david latorell to the turmoils mm-hmm. uh he was a banker turned uh manager coffee enthusiast um comedian comedian um one of my most difficult customers and i was horrified the day that he came onto the other side of the bar and would start cupping with me in the mornings and um but uh he was very good at hiring baristas that i would quickly have crushes on and for that i will love him forever nice um and uh yeah so so he left a few months later kyle and i had done this thing where we uh this is Oh, it's boring. Good. Long story, but no, it's uh, good. They we, know Kyle Glendale. He we, owns G and B. Everybody, in case you're wondering, that's who we're talking about. Yeah. So, so we uh, we found ourselves in Athens, Greece, consulting for uh, a coffee bar roastery opening for five days, which is um, uh, all I can tell you about Athens is that uh, the elevators in the hotel smell like ashtrays, and there's nowhere to get food at two in the morning. Um, <laughs> but it was five days of, of kind of sleepless nights and figuring out how to get a little seven kilo Dietrich with a 110 foot uh, exhaust stack to function and um, set up espresso machines and grinders and with a huge language barrier, train baristas and this sort of, I guess what would become third wave 
style coffee preparation coffee <laughs> um, in a in a city that had like terrible Nescafe frappes everywhere and perfect. Um, so that that was fun and um, and uh, n- not terribly lucrative, but very fun. And when we got back, I think there was an impression among the owners of Victrola that Kyle and I were trying to build our coffee career on the backs of, of their little company and um, that our notoriety had become excessive. And um, yeah, and, and so, like. so you know, uh, we got fired from what was, uh, you know, probably my favorite job ever. Like I, w- I would have stayed there forever. Was that kind of tough? Squat. Uh, it was super tough and uh, it happened – uh, five days before uh, SCAA in Charlotte, or uh, like four wow. days before. Um, and in the lead up to that, like uh, Kyle and one of our baristas, Rachel, had been training with barista competition routines and, you know, I'd been working on their coffee for competition. It was kind of a big deal for them. And um, so when when the owners were like, look, we can't, you know, we can't afford to send anybody to SCAA, I was like, well, look, I'll, I'll go out of pocket. I'll, I'll buy you know, I'll buy the tickets, I'll buy the plane tickets. We've already paid for the passes. Like, let's, you know, these these guys have worked hard to to make it to to competition, national competition. Like, they, sh- they should go. Um, and that didn't go over well. So, uh, so I got fired. Kyle got fired. We sat around that night over beers at the Stumbling Monk and realized that if we wanted to stay in coffee, which was a big F, I think, right. um, if we were going to stay in coffee, we kind of had to go to Charlotte because otherwise we'd be, you know, spinning our wheels like the right for <laughs> till, till, yeah, till SCAA a year later when we could actually like run yeah. into our friends and colleagues again. And yeah, what um, do you do in that year anyway? So, yeah. Yeah. So I think we were, we were open to anything. Um, and we got there and we're kind of surprised at how many people knew what had happened or how many people read my stupid blog and, uh, and, people just started throwing weird opportunities at us and we were like okay here's our deal you know we're 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 willing to date but we're not we're not you know don't put a ring on us yet like we're we're going to really take our time and figure out what we want to do and and the i think the default for us was that you know we could both convince our girlfriends to move to New York and we would open up a roastery in New York because there wasn't a lot going on there and nobody at at the time was was doing a roastery in the city so there was some film or some sort of something i remember seeing and you and kyle were in it and kyle was talking about punk oh, rock in seattle remember that video oh, yeah shit. that it, was that, so was, that was one of those barista movies that never got finished kind of thing yeah or? i don't know where i saw <laughs> it but so i many remember of those. it was kyle's all yeah we don't do it like that up in seattle and it's like oh it was so <laughs> funny was that Part of the same series of movies where it, you had like Jen Prince on her scooter and she like rode up and oh, parked her scooter. Yeah, that and sounds familiar. And like there was a Billy Wilson had a little cameo in that and he had the <laughs> the funniest thing that he ever said. He was talking about I don't know what he was talking about because I'm not gonna put words in his mouth because I, <laughs> I mentioned this to him years later and he's all shut the fuck up, man. <laughs> <laughs> and he yeah. he's talking and he says this line. He says he's all sometimes I think I know too much about people. <laughs> 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 it was like oh the man. most epic last minute save ever. It was awesome. <laughs> so that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm 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 like nothing but terrified of things 
resurfacing of stuff that came out of our mouths oh, collectively man. from that era. Dude, the shit you say, the shit that I said, jeez. I mean, we didn't even, at least now when people are being arrogant, they kind of know it. Yeah. It's almost we intentional were too in a way. To you're just like, you don't even know how much of a dumbass you're being. <laughs> <laughs> remember my first competition? They asked me what was hard about being a barista. There's actually a moment the first time I remembered who Kyle Glenville uh-huh. was. Because they're like, what's so hard about being a barista? And in my naivety, I said, nothing. It's pretty easy. And Kyle Glanville was in the audience and he goes, boo. <laughs> and the audience laughed at me. <laughs> and I was like in Petaluma, like this new barista, first competition ever. And I was like, what? It's not very hard. And I was like so genuine. And then I got last place. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, I mean, that probably it impacted the judges, you know. So you squeaked out a Victrola or yep. got fired. And then... Yep. After not wanting to get married, you guys finally did get married to Intelligentsia, so to speak. Yeah. So, so I, uh, in in some like pool hall in in uh, in uh, that SCA, I I met Jeff Watts, and I, you know, known about Jeff online and had read everything that he'd posted and kind of understood him as the visionary that that uh, that he is and. Uh, and I was like, hey, you know, if there's ever an opportunity that I could tag along on a on a buying trip with you and not get in the way, pay my own way, <laughs> you know, I just I feel like I, I need to have that experience under my belt. And, you know, but I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to impose. But um, and he was like, uh, Doug and I are going to uh, Mexico in two weeks. Like, you should join us. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll I'll do that, you know, with the with the full understanding that I'm not I'm not applying for a job here. This isn't, you know, I'm I'm just like I just kind of want to see how this stuff works. And um, and so on that trip, uh, it was like seven days in uh, Oaxaca and Chiapas, and then a couple days just chilling out on some beach in southern Mexico uh, with those guys. I, uh, you know, Doug kept talking up this Los Angeles project and um i was just like i couldn't see myself in la i'm not super interested but you know it's like maybe i could consult and you know stay in seattle and kind of help you guys out because there's there's something cool here and i'd like to pursue it but you know don't need to turn my life upside down for for this and um and then you know i spent some time in chicago and uh sniffed around what they were doing there and saw that you know at the time what was going on in their retail shops didn't really reflect what I saw them doing at source. Um, and I think, you know, there was some stress in their production environment where it felt like things were a little too siloed and, you know, people were grumbling. They didn't feel like roasters didn't feel like they were cupping enough. There was just a lot of things about their culture that were kind of stagnant and needed a shakeup. And I think right. Doug felt like, you know, he had grand visions and the people that he had were, you know, kind of over it and not willing to take the leaps and of course Kyle and I were like we didn't we were crazy too so right like let's go nuts and get weird right so and he, yeah so they're buying awesome coffees doing really amazing things at yep. origins and then the shops are just but the shops are still the mundane. excel spreadsheet of 30 different drinks and you yeah. know single shot double shot triple shot syrups blenders and you know so it it and I was really surprised cuz I visited Millennium Park many years ago I think before there were any Intellis in California yeah I think Mill Park opened right around the 
Is before Silver Lake by just a little bit, or or was it after? I I I think Silver Lake took so long <laughs> to get open that it's. I feel like there was some project overlap there, but or what's the original one? Broadway. Broadway was the OG. Okay. Yeah. 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 They used to roast in there. That was Ground Zero. Yeah, and it was. It was a different scene than it is now at Intelligentsia. I guess I'll say that. Yeah. To keep it kosher. I mean, it was it, a different time. Yeah. They were doing cool things, and they had some really amazing people there uh, who are a lot of them are still hanging in there today or doing cool things in coffee today. But, um, but you know, what, what I think we didn't realize until after we'd kind of – the ink was dry and we had our first sort of working week in Chicago – um, after we'd come on, it was that most of the people in the company didn't know there was an L.A. project, didn't know a lease was signed, didn't know that one of the roasting machines was going to be set up. It, it, there was a lot of, like, we were sort of thrown into the fire and having to explain to people, like, who we were and what we'd been given the keys to and what things we were going to accept input on and what things we felt like we had a blank check and a mandate to depart from the intelligentsia way of doing things and and that set up uh pretty challenging relationships from the very beginning with la and chicago and i think some of that was by design for for (laughs) doug wanting to like you know shock the company into a, a new way of doing business and um you know, so I, I have, I, I mean, I could do a whole podcast on just my experience there and probably regret some of the things I would say. But, but the, the nut of it was that, I mean, it was, it was an amazing opportunity. Um, it was working with some really great people. And, you know, we got to, I think, redefine what a coffee bar was for Intelligentsia. And I think that had a lot of influence on other places that opened after. And, and certainly, you know, I wouldn't say we were the first to do all of the things that we did, but... Um, you know, we we definitely did some cool stuff and made it work right out of the box. Um, and I think that changed the role of the barista in a coffee bar for for better or worse. Um, and there were a few other shops that kind of came up in that period um, that I think were also, like, super influential. And, um, and now we have this kind of whole third wave thing that... Yeah, you did a couple... For people who weren't there or didn't know. And then, first of all, like the tension between two different cities, two different branches of one company. It's like, yeah, there's drama there, but it's almost to be expected. And it's not like a negative point either. I mean, that's just going to happen, I think. But it yeah. was pretty funny to watch from the outside. Yeah. Like from my viewpoint. <laughs> you probably got to see, hear more of it than I. I mean, we just heard kind of whispers about people spitting on our names oh, in it was, Chicago. It was, and, fan, it was fantastic. And everyone thought it would just fail spectacularly. Yeah, nobody knew who you were, and they're like, I don't know, what what are they doing? Who are they? Like, where right, did they from come some from? some little like, shop like, in Seattle, like, and like, Doug is off this rocker. This guy? Like, <laughs> is everybody insane? And it really came to a head, like, at, or at least, I don't even want to call it drama, because it sounds like I'm talking shit, but I'm not. I, I think it was really fun. I think it was 2008 USBC. The the 2007. Year, whatever the Rober E year was. Okay. Man. So I, I, I think it was 08. Kyle showed up with one of the first doserless Robers, maybe the first doserless Rober. Uh huh. The one with the funnel and it had no, you know, clicky clack paddle. Yeah. And I 
as far as I knew, it was the only one in existence. He had it at regionals, and I think uh-huh. Terry Z had helped build it for him. Yeah, Terry, him Terry, Terry Z had pulled those in. I think we like faked the UL listing, or there was some like we we had like like we had encountered some like crazy three phase rober with a giant burr set when yeah. we were in. Yeah. Uh, when we were in Greece, and we were like, "Why the hell can't we get one of these?" And you set and up, you guys set up Silver Lake for three phase power for those grinders. Y- yes. and it was a big old pain in the ass. Oh right? well, I mean, the power in general was a pain in the ass. I mean, it. it so we, I think the the, I, I don't know if I'm talking out of school, sharing numbers for, for intelligentsia, but it was a decade ago. But, uh, but you know, I think our budget was. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to say that number, <laughs> but but let let's say let's say that uh, the the electrical upgrade alone, which was not on account of our grinders, but just out of the fact that there was insufficient power in the space, uh, we spent a quarter million dollars dealing with the electrical upgrade. Nice. Makes um, our build out sound like a dream. Los Angeles Department of Water and Power, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Shit. Um, I'll just say it so you don't have to, but. Yeah, so at USBC, Kyle had had this grinder. It was the only one in the U.S. as far as anybody knew, and everyone this was like, Long Beach. No, I think this was after Long Beach. Okay. I'm pretty sure this was Minneapolis. Okay. And he shows up with his with his Robert E. And at the time, like a doserless grinder wasn't a thing. Like everybody now, it's like a thing. But everybody was clacky paddle, like click clack grinders. And he's like, okay, I have my grinder. And everyone in Intelli Chicago is like, oh, yeah, I'm using that grinder, too. And he's like, well, it's kind of my grinder. And they're like, <laughs> no, it's kind of our grinder. And there was this, like, this whole thing. And I remember people walking around backstage. Fuck, Kyle's trying to keep this grinder for himself. Like, what's going on? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> That uh, that was that was the year where everybody started eating bananas. Yeah, that right? was the banana year. Yeah. Who who was it? One of you guys that I think it was Wilbur made that happen. Okay. Ryan Wilbur from La Marzocco now, uh, who was working with you guys at the time. Yeah, right? he, he was our he was our first barista hire. He's like, you eat bananas and you never feel the caffeine hit. <laughs> so all these it never worked for me but yeah, I, was gonna say, I don't know I don't know if it's true I still subscribe to it but I don't know if it's true a lot of cool stuff happened that year but yeah anyway this, there's too many stories we have to speed this up right there there are you're gonna uh, like I don't know how you're gonna edit this I don't know it's how, gonna we're get gonna ha- this is gonna be a two-parter probably I think it's worth a two-parter bunch of dudes Thompson's reminiscing about two- the glory Dude, remember days. when I gave you a high five and you gave me a hug yeah <laughs> it was the best <laughs> Yeah, uh, you went to Minneapolis. You opened L.A. Then what happened? I mean, uh, you got you were in Intelli. You were ripping it up. Yeah, so uh, Intelli was uh, an interesting ride, um, and you know I, I got into a lot of conflict with the Chicago roasting department at the time, and uh, got to work with some really interesting people on some really challenging projects uh, yeah. that I would not want to repeat, and. Uh, um, a lot of learning experiences, though. Yep. And uh, so I left uh, Intelligentsia officially two weeks before the Silver Lake store opened. Okay. And had kind of a that sort of weird, difficult ex-girlfriend relationship with Intelli that probably in some ways persists till today. Um, Perfect. And, you know, uh, yeah, I somehow managed to, like, leave these jobs and then always be the shoulder that somebody cries on when they're having... Like, I don't know if this is like a phenomenon where you're like the ex-employee that every disgruntled current employee goes to to like 
air out their laundry. <laughs> that happens for sure. <laughs> like, yeah, you guys, like everybody who's unhappy at Verve probably <laughs> has That's a conversation with you guys at, at some Verve. point. Oh, okay. <laughs> what? <laughs> I think it because it, it feels like you're uh, a safe place. It's it's someone who understands the problems that you're dealing with, but they're removed, so you know it's not going to get back to anybody. So you're like, man. And then in some ways they like look up to you because like, oh man, you just manned up and left. That's like awesome. And <laughs> I'm so sad, and you get it. Yeah, well, and it's also typically the people that others reach out to are the ones who showed a lot of passion and drive and put a lot of energy into where they worked. So right. if it was obvious that you put a lot of energy and a lot of love and you really cared about these projects and you were trying to do something that they appreciated, then they feel like they relate to you, right? So then when you leave, they're like, wait, 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 wait. the person I relate to is gone. I don't under, what do I? Or, or, or the opposite, or it's the person that I thought was like, totally this jerk who was destroying the company like maybe maybe they were actually oh yeah maybe, maybe i didn't hear the other side maybe of that I story misunderstood them yeah oh yeah there's i mean it's complex man anytime you leave a company that you put in some either a big project or a lot of years with there's speculation there's stuff all over the place yeah i mean it's I, hard that's what it's i mean i i'm you know like i don't i mean i i still like i still see doug and i get along with doug i i'm like there's no I don't have like hard feelings about, you know, uh, that company or my time there. And, it, you know, I mean, just to have been a part of that project is sort of, it's, it's cool. Like I That's learned big. a lot. And, yeah. um, <laughs> I mean, for those who haven't been to that store too, it was, it's a pretty revolutionary store and the way they ran service. I mean, Tony mentioned that, but it was, the service was fast. The line's always out the door. It's crazy. The coffee was amazing. Yep. And uh, it's like a, it's like a, high, it's minimalist, but it's not at the same time. Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah. by the cup brew methods, high volume. Is yeah, high volume, and we did you know vertical price brew by the yep. cup, which you know n nobody was really doing that uh, effectively at the time, and uh, we were doing it at an average ticket pace of uh, one transaction every thirty seconds. Yeah, it's quite which, fast. Uh, when 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 it had the right people behind the bar and. Um, and I think, you know, barista wages went up, which was kind of one of our stated goals of doing this was that if barista was going to be a real sort of thing that people could do and you know, make a living on, you had to, you had to be able to pay them more and to pay them more, you had to demand more of them. So we wanted the shop to feel like the, the person who took your order was also the person that made your drink and it happened right then and there. And, you know, you got some kind of personalized service around it. Um, and if you got out of line, you know, or, or you had a complaint, there was no manager that you were going to talk to. It was the person who made your drink, the barista, you know, mm. we were going to hire people that we thought, you know, like any bartender at a bar is like, if somebody needs to be 86, it's, it's this, if somebody needs to be comped, you know, there's nobody to ask. It's like, just, you know, hire people that you trust to be in charge. It's just a damn coffee bar. Yeah. It's empowering. Um, and <laughs> You know, and so as a result of that, I got free drinks there for a number of years, uh, which is fantastic. Which is, yeah, saw a lot of those drinks on Flickr. <laughs> That's true. A yeah. lot of great macchiato shots. Were you the one who took the picture when uh, Brent Glanville started working there once? I, I mean, I've taken lots of pictures. Well, of there Brent was Glanville. there was this funny, interesting like it was some sort of 
controversial like statement that like Brent came in didn't make the perfect macchiato and somebody took a picture of it and sent it to Doug and there was like a whole shenanigans of it and it was oh not yeah even I remember one of those stories there, there was something so about funny? Ryan like, Wilbur pouring one that was out of spec yeah exactly like, like go, it's like go, so go, much going, going maverick on his latte art style yeah exactly that was what it was yeah well when when you're a company that you know pays you know several very fat salaries to several people to compose what they call a training department um, and spend six months working on training manuals that never see the light of day and stuff. It's kind of important that, you know, that your edicts are followed. Uh, so, you know, people people take that stuff kind of seriously at the expense of all the other really important stuff. Yeah. I love speaking. You, Jared, you said something about pictures of a macchiato ending up in someone else's hands and being like, what the? You would always take pictures of macchiatos Uh-oh. and post them up, and I loved it because you would always keep it so real. And it was like one of the we just did this like podcast about authenticity and social media, and this was like kind of pre-social media because they all just ended up on Flickr. But you would take pictures of everyone's macchiatos and post them, no matter how beautiful they were or how ass fuck ugly they were. <laughs> it was amazing. I was like, that is so <laughs> rad. This is like the most beat scene ever. You know, like, I mean, it, was, it was just it was just like my journal. It's yeah, like, no, it's these cool. These are the coffee places I went. And this I like is, it. You know, um, it's, it's so real. Yeah. So what did you do after you, you know, you left Intelligentsia, you're in L.A., which uh-huh. you really didn't have this super strong desire to be there at first anyway. But I feel like L.A. kind of grows on people. Yeah. I, I mean, so I, I meet people now who show up in L.A. and they get it right away and they're like, you know, like fully in love with it. I thought, well, I'm just going to be here for a year, get this, you know, roastery and this coffee shop open and head back to my nice little quiet life in Seattle. Um, but my girlfriend at the time got a really good job in L.A. So we're like, OK, we'll stick it out here a little longer and see if she can transfer and um, and then I found out that the the secret to the LA lifestyle is to be freelance or unemployed uh, and hang out in coffee shops all day. And fortunately, I just finished helping to build a coffee shop that I could loiter in all day long. And uh, and so you start talking to screenwriters and people in quote unquote the industry, and you know, and it's just it's it's just kind of a a very low blood pressure slow moving social environment that um and it it wasn't like i even fell in love with it i just got very comfortable there yeah and i always thought well i'm gonna leave here at some point and so i ended up uh you know my my next big project was slow food nation 2008 which best best event ever uh and we could do a whole podcast about that um there was well let's Two things. One, I think the freelance thing was and still is a running joke that, like, whenever I go to L.A., no matter what coffee shop I go to, Tonks is always there. This is true. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could go to Dinosaur. I could go to Intelli. You go to, uh, like, Woodcat. Oh, there he, there he is. <laughs> He's there. <laughs> Slow yeah. Nation. So we've talked about this, I think, a little bit before. Slow Food Nation was... A barista slash coffee event featuring baristas and roasters from all well, over the country. Well, it, it was it was basically it was it was part of this. Uh, this Alice Waters was a big part of it. It was sort of this like big citywide uh, 
weekend-long food festival with like talks and film screenings and there was this big taste pavilion in Fort Mason and Alice had pulled together these curators and differently there was like a charcuterie curator a, a, a tea curator a cheese curator an olive oil committee and you know and and brought all of us into a room together and we're like okay here's you know here's your marching orders we're we're going to sell 10,000 tickets to this thing and over the course of two days you're going to serve 10,000 people a quote-unquote slow food educational experience in your domain and everyone in that meeting was super enthusiastic and the cheese people are like oh well you know we could do this and this and the the fish people were like oh we would do this ceviche thing and then you know and then walk people through and build a pavilion that would show the ocean you know like everybody had these crazy ideas and then i stood up and i was like you know i i hate to be like like the asshole but you know the busiest coffee shop any of you have ever stood in line in is maybe doing like 600 700 transactions on a busy weekend day and you're not having a slow food experience. You're not being educated by the staff there. And that's a fully paid staff and a, you know, in, in like a well-oiled machine. Like to do something like that, you know, with a $5,000 budget, um, it's just, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. It's impossible. Like this is, this is going to be a disaster. You know, you're just going to be shoveling product out at people. There's not going to be an education. And um, so I, I, I was, you know, I was I was very skeptical, um, but Andrew Barnett was my co-curator, um, and Andrew is sort of the calmest, nicest human being in, in coffee. So chill. Um, and you know, so for whatever reason, I, I stuck it out, and we got to work with a really great architecture firm that contributed a lot of time, energy, money human being resources into making a pavilion that would actually function for what we were going to do. We had 80 linear feet of bar space. We got La Marzocco to donate four espresso machines that we turned into eight espresso stations. Um, we got all these roasters, coffee producers, baristas to volunteer. Um, and it was sort of that live aid thing. You check your egos at the door. Nobody represented who they were as being from a company. We didn't talk to people about who roasted the coffee or anything about the roasting process. We were brewing on a bank of, of donated and borrowed clover <laughs> brewers that we had behind a curtain so no one could see how we were brewing the coffee. And we just talked about the producers and the experience in the cup. Um, and we had a concierge system where somebody would be at the front of the pavilion and just batch people together five or six at a time, take them over to whatever station was open and empty, make the introduction, and then you know go through a, a tasting. And, and, and we managed to get everybody through there, I think, more efficiently than any of the other pavilions. And Dude, we killed it. So I was working this, and so was Jared. And when he's talking about four espresso machines, and you're talking about the bar, like this was a weekend setup, but it's not like espresso machines on tables. Like the <laughs> bar was built. Like this was a built yeah. bar. It was wood. It looked designed. I still have pictures. I, I need to put one up soon, or put one in the notes, which we say we're always going to do. We never yeah. do. But Dude, I, I've got <laughs> some, I've got some great video uh, up on Flickr. Of and it, <laughs> you guys on bar. I w singing to Jenny Bryant, I think. Cause, oh, yeah. <laughs> You've lost that love and feeling. I worked bar with Jenny, and we – Jared, you were pulling – on the other side, you were pulling Echo. I right? was pulling some Echo you, you were pulling coffee. Echo. 
I was on the other side. We weren't working together at the time because no. I was working at Ritual and you guys were just we had just opened Verve with, with Verve. Yeah, Matt Williams was there and Colby and Ryan and myself, and that's it. It was a crazy weekend. And it was best weekend. Amazing. It was just well, first of all, I had never been to a thing where East Coast and West Coast baristas were really getting together and kind of having a moment. Yeah, there's SCAA, but no one's really having a moment at SCAA. You don't like, get to make coffee together. Everyone's in their own world. They're they're focused on competing, and you maybe hang out at a party and talk, but you're not really engaging in your craft together. So, like, Jenny was, like, a full-on East Coast. She was working at Gimme, maybe, at the time. Yeah, she was a Gimme gal. And their espresso style, totally different than what we were doing in San Francisco. And it was just, like, really interesting to get to talk to someone, spend hours and hours together, and it wasn't, like, Oh, like you do it this way? That's fucking bullshit. Or like we do it this way? It's like okay, Ex- just explaining it and getting to understand where people are coming from. Yeah, I don't know. and and that was that was also kind of a breakout moment for Single Origin Espresso, Big I time. think, because yeah. we Big we had some coffees up there that no one would ever in a million years consider throwing on a coffee bar as a single, like straight shots of Kenya. That was unheard yeah, of at the Kenyan time. That and people crazy. thought, well, how are you going to do an espresso bar if if you're only doing you know producer focused single origin coffees? Like that's impossible. Like we just are. And we we just <laughs> did it. We had you know a little old ladies with white hair who had never had a straight shot of espresso in their life this thing that we've always thought is this weird acquired taste and you know they were knocking back shots like there was no tomorrow and describing the flavors and it was just felt like i mean because people came they paid their 65 dollars for the ticket they were ready to have an experience they were they were they were i mean i wish all customers could be that enthusiastic about whatever weird curveballs you want to throw at him. It, it was, was seriously it was ideal. Like the most energizing event ever. Because, I mean, you go in there, and we all worked really hard and really fast and just cranked drinks, and you're, you're giving a lot of positive energy to these people and talking about whatever coffee. What was cool is that it was. It was a different coffee for whatever, maybe every hour or something like that. Yeah. And then whoever whoever had roasted and, produ- and brought the coffee gave like a lowdown to everybody who was making it. And then you all gave kind of like your pitch, but everybody was, it was, we were pulling coffee slightly different. We were getting slightly different taste notes out of it. And to be able to explain those to people and have people get it on this level where they were interested and then watching all these other baristas from all over the world, which by the way, if you took that lineup now, Oh man, you know, and said, where are they now? Like the difference between all these baristas who worked for companies. I was standing next to like Nick Griffith, who's gone on and done millions of things, worked with you and then, you know, moved on, but it's Billy just Wilson. nuts. Billy Wilson. Yeah. It was just Peter Giuliano, Peter G Steve was Ford, coffee, Steve Ford. I mean, it's like Edwin Martinez. <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. like the lineup was insane. I was like one of the youngest at that point. And it was so, so much fun to be with these people. Yeah. And to just feel the camaraderie of SCA of coffee, not SCAA. Yeah. Specialty coffee. Cheryl from Gimme. Cheryl King. Yeah. yeah. I met her then. It was so crazy. Jared Linsamer. Yep. He was like also the new barista. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yep. He was like, and the, yeah, everybody's like, yeah, he's fast. He's pretty yep. fast. And yeah. And Deanna was there. It was just like this crazy group of people yeah. all working together. Yeah. Deanna was like the the concierge. Uh-huh. Like she she was running that line so effectively. And it was um, such a good time. I didn't even drink the brewed coffee that weekend because we were just hustling so hard on the <laughs> barista side. Yeah. But there was a whole group of people back there brewing coffee as well, which is like a whole nother dynamic. Yeah, it was nuts. And yeah. well, I didn't realize actually you had anything to do with putting that on, so that's really rad. We speak y- of it highly a lot. That's crazy. Yeah, that was that was like I I think of all the things I've done in coffee, it's the thing I'm most proud of is is coming up with the the bar concept 
for that and the, the service model for that. All right. Thanks for listening to the Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast. Tune in next week for part two of our two-part series with Tony Kinnicki. If you are interested in a subscription to our coffee, go to catandcloud.com. And if you want to give us a hot email, hit us up, info at catandcloud. Also, again, our pop-up every Monday from now until our spot is open is ready for you. Mondays at Companion. Don't forget, hold on to your butts.